0: following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motuker Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available at 1000 Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, our scripture reading will be verses 1 through 7. Thankful for the goodness of God. Thank you for the word of God. The word of God is our anchor that points us to our God that teaches us about him. And sometimes the things that it teaches us about him are difficult and many times they are glorious, but they are always good. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Thank the Lord for his word this morning.
1: We'll be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. I hope you have your Bibles and you'll be following along in our passage, Romans chapter 13 this morning. As human beings, we don't like being told what to do. We just don't like it. I am my own man. I don't like being told what to do. We get to see it probably the clearest with little ones, because they have not figured out yet how to hide their feelings. You and I, as adults, we know how to hide our feelings. I might not like being told what to do, but I know how to hide it. But the little ones, they haven't figured out how to do that yet. I remember so clearly, one day, about three, four years ago, a little boy was in the transition class. Now, here at SPIA, the transition class is the four-year-old's. And I remember a little boy, he's still in school now, by the way. And uh, I remember the day when Miss Janice put him down for a nap along with all of his classmates. They all took a nap together. And in during his nap time, poor little guy, he wet himself. Now, embarrassing moment if you're four. Much more embarrassing if you're 14, okay? <laughs> now, little guy, there he is. It's okay. Mom and dad had planned for this. Mom and dad had sent an extra change of clothes for him. And there, it's time he wakes up from his nap. He realizes, oh, man, I've made a mess of myself. And uh, his teacher took him into the bathroom, got him cleaned up, got him changed, old dirty clothes off, and then goes to put the new clothes on. He's got a clean pair of pants, clean shirt, and when it came time to put the trousers on, he just decided today's not the day to wear trousers. She tried all kinds of different ways to get him to put his trousers on, and he refused. Finally, it made it to my level. I got called to the school because Junior won't put his trousers on. Listen, I only get called in on things that are major ordeal. I am chairman of the school board. And somehow this came to my level. I remember, I don't know where where Brother Eric was. I don't know where Becky ended up. I have no idea. All I know is I'm in the front office with a four-year-old and he's in his underwear and he won't put his trousers on. And I'm looking at him like, put your trousers on, young man. And he looked at me, he hit the wall, boom, no. I thought this is the first time I've ever argued with someone about putting trousers on I came down to his level, one knee. I held him kindly by both shoulders. Young man, trousers are not optional in school. You will put your trousers on. I will never forget to the day I die what he did next. He stomped his foot and he said, no. (laughs) You see, we hate being told what to do. Junior just hadn't learned yet how to hide it. We hate being told what to do. And the truth of the matter is, I think that when we learn that we have to submit, we realize that there is someone and something that's out there that is much more important than we are. And as long as we are in charge of our little world, even if it involves whether I'm wearing trousers to school or not, if I'm not in charge of my world, then somebody else is. And our passage is going to speak to that today. God is calling us to submit ourselves to those that are in authority. And we're going to see that in our passage in Romans 13 today. Before we jump into the text, I'd like to walk back quickly through chapter 12. We have seen various ways that you and I as believers transformed by the gospel should be interacting at different levels with different people. We had in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, our attitude and our actions towards God and how we as believers should be transformed. Remember, our actions are shaped by our beliefs. What happens on the outside is going to be shaped by what I believe on the inside. And so what am I going to do on the outside with my body? I'm going to... Offer my body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. It will be holy. It will be for His purposes. And that's going to be rooted in the fact that I've been changed on the inside. So my old man's way of thinking is going to be saying, this is my body and I will do what feels good. That's my old man's way of thinking. But my new man, having been transformed by the gospel, is going to be saying things like, no, this body belongs to Jesus. And it will only do what He wants. Then in verses 3 to verse 8, we saw the believer's actions towards the church body. God has gifted each one of us with different giftings. Some with a gift of preaching and teaching, and others the acts of mercy, and others the way of encouragement. Some with administration. Some, I might go so far as to say, having the gifts of service and serving the body through musical abilities, And even something like driving a bus. And the old man's way of thinking would say that this gifting is something that I have so that I can make myself more important. And instead, the new man's way of thinking is going to say it's not about me, it's about God using me to be a blessing to other people. I was blessed to be a blessing. Then verses 9 to 13, we see the believer's actions towards everyone else. In other words, you are to be genuine with your love. You are to show patience in tribulation. When things are going wrong, I'm not getting angry about it. I'm being patient. I'm letting God do His perfecting work through me. I'm showing hospitality to others. My old man's way of thinking would be That I am so important and everyone else should be blessing me, but now my new man's way of thinking is I should be blessing others. Then in verses 14 to 21, we saw last week our actions towards our enemies. I have to say in the last week I have received many testimonies to God using His Word to encourage the saints. I am very encouraged by that. Very encouraged to hear things that even though it is cultural for us to pay back, it is not scriptural. And for me to be aligning my way of thinking with the Word's way of thinking. I'm very thankful that the Lord has done that work among our body, and I hope that it will continue to do His work. My old man's way of thinking is, that guy did me wrong, so I'm going to beck him back. And the new man's way of thinking instead is, God forgave me much. I will give place and let God do his perfect work in that person's life. And if that means that he draws down vengeance upon them, so be it. But I will not be the one that meets that out, for I have been forgiven. I too can forgive. We check our actions and hope that our actions align with our beliefs. We say that we believe that we're transformed by the gospel. I might ask that this morning Are you transformed by the gospel? I'll define it real quickly. What is the gospel? God is infinitely holy, He is perfect, and He cannot allow any sin in His presence. And you and I as fallen human beings, we are fallen, we are born in our sin, we cannot escape it, we have sinned from the day we're born, and we do sin for the rest of our days. And our sin leaves us condemned before a holy God, but God did not leave us condemned. This is where the good news comes in in the Gospel. He sent His only begotten Son, the most precious thing in the universe. He sent His only begotten Son to go to the cross and take our sin upon the cross so that those who trust in Jesus will not be condemned before God, but instead will receive everlasting life as the sons of God. Oh, He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What must I do to receive this righteousness? Only believe. I trust you. And He gives me everlasting life. That's the Gospel. And if that Gospel has been believed in your heart, it will transform the way you act. Your life will be changed because of the Gospel. So now we come into Romans 13, and we're going to see the believer's actions towards the government. And I want you to see this today. Remember, we don't like being told what to do. I mentioned Janice. She does a fantastic job here with the four-year-olds. Every year, I watch as four-year-olds transition from being little kids to being students in school. Now, I gotta say, I kind of wish sometimes I could go back and be a four-year-old at school. Their day is pretty awesome. Like they get to play. I mean, sure, they gotta say ah ah ah. Eh, ah. I mean, they gotta go through that part, but they get to take a nap. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to go back and take a nap right? And all of moms and dads would say amen to that. I remember usually the first day of the school year is the most difficult because most of the four-year-olds that come into school have never been told no a single time in their life. And I remember one, just a few years ago, I'm standing there, I usually try to greet the parents and students, I try to keep the parents out and the students in. I just kind of stand there at the door, and I remember one four-year-old came in clinging to dad. Dad was huge. If you saw dad, you would know. This dad is a big guy, white shirt, tie on. I won't tell you which company he works for, but you would definitely recognize it. And dad's carrying four-year-old junior clinging to his side, and junior's doing his best to try to melt into dad. <laughs> and dad's bringing him in, and I was like, dad, it's okay, I'll take him, but I need you to help me, Dad you turn around and walk out the door. And Dad looks at me like, huh? I said, trust me, in five minutes he'll be fine. And Junior is, no, don't leave me, Dad. I said, no, 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 let me take care of this one. I take Junior off of Dad, kind of like pride him. And I get Junior and we go off to the side and Dad just turns around and he started at at the door, started to look back at me. I said, no, 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 just keep going, keep going. You're going to be fine. (laughs) I get little Junior over to the side. We did step into the bathroom because there was a lot of traffic in the hallway. I get Junior down. I'm one knee in front of him, and I said, you're going to be fine. Tears just streaming down his face. I don't want to be a big boy. I don't want to be a big boy. I said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Amazing thing, he's in an older grade now, and he has a younger brother that's in school. Guess who wants to be the big boy, (laughs) right? We don't like being told what to do. And in our passage today, we're going to find out that we're supposed to be being told what to do. You see, God has placed in our lives visible representations of authority. Those are Paul Tripp's words. God has placed in our lives visible representations of authority. He is an invisible authority. You cannot see Him. But if you cannot submit yourself to a visible authority, representation of authority, how will you ever expect that you, a transformed by the gospel believer, would ever submit yourself to God as the authority? So God has placed visible authorities in your life. And you want to know how well do I follow God? Okay, see how well do you follow the ones that he told you to follow that you can see. And then you'll be able to measure. Now let's read verse 1. This is Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. I know, church, I know That for a number of reasons, this passage lands flat in our hearts and does not sink. But I'm hoping that we will let it sink. Listen to verse 1 Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That's a command right off the top. That's a command. It's a full sentence at the beginning of verse number one. And by the way, that's kind of an odd thing to see in a verse, a full sentence that then goes on to another sentence. You get a full stop at the end of the first sentence. Look at it very closely. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. I'll paraphrase. Submit to your government rulers. That's a command. This is, if you want to know what does God want you to do as a believer, submit to your government authorities. Amen. Now guys, no government authority has asked me to preach this message. I only preach it because it's in God's Word. Amen. And we came across it in Romans 13. Amen. I hope that you know we've taken 18 months to get through from Romans 1 to Romans 12, and we didn't just do it so we could have this sermon today. Right. But here's the command. Submit yourself to your government authorities. I know that you'll have objections here, so I'll address two of them. Agreement and submission are not the same thing. You can submit without agreeing. Agreement and submission are not the same thing. So if you see the government authority doing something that you don't agree with, you can still submit, but you don't have to agree. So, if things are going in the wrong direction, you can still submit. And we're going to see practically later in the passage how you submit. But it's possible to submit without agreeing. Another objection that you might have is when is it possible for me to actually refuse to submit? And there is a biblical example of this. You might remember Peter when he got arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. And the chief priests and the rulers of the synagogue brought him in for trial. And they said, you will stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter's response is found in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. And this is what Peter said. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So there is a biblical example of a time that you can refuse to submit to government authority, and that time is when the government authority tells you to do something that is directly opposed to the mandates of the Word of God. So if God clearly says, meet together, tell the world of Jesus, and the government says, no, don't meet together and don't tell other people about Jesus, you follow the commands of God and not the commands of man. And there are, by the way, no excuses. You don't get to say, well, that one that's in power is not the one that I voted for. You don't get to say things like, well, I don't like the way that they're running things. And if you want a really good example of it, remember who it is that's writing this book and under what authority he's writing. This is the Apostle Paul, a Jewish man, writing under the conquest of Rome. A Jewish person hates the idea of any outside nation ever having rule over them, and here he is paying tribute back to Rome, and he is under the oppression, that's the right word, under oppression of a government who will ultimately take his life. And guess what he said? Submit to your government authorities. That's a biblical command. So I have two questions as I read through verses 1 to 7. And I think these two questions fairly outline the passage. The first question is this. Why should we submit to government rulers? Why? Why should we submit to government rulers? And it's found here in verses 1 and 2, the first one. And the first one is this. All power comes from God. All power comes from God. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers... For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever, believer, listen to this closely. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Those are very sobering words. For those who are in places of government authority are there because God put them there. All power is from God. I see several people throughout Scripture making this very same statement. David said it. and David was the beloved king. You might remember King David. David said it, and here's what he said in Psalm 62 and verse 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. David made that statement. And if you'll think with me how it was that David became king, We mentioned last week he did not overthrow Saul and he did not put a knife in Saul when he had the opportunity to. But instead, think of it how it was that David became king. In fact, God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse to anoint the king. And if you remember how that worked, Samuel came to Jesse's house. He said, hey, I've got something that I need to talk to you about. This really kind of needs to remain top secret because Saul would probably kill me for this. But God sent me on an errand, and I need to anoint the next king of Israel. And he looked at each of the seven sons of David as they brought them before him, and he said, that one looks like he would be perfect. In fact, the firstborn, it said that he was much taller. You remember King Saul? That was what marked King Saul. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Perhaps Samuel thought, another tall king, that's what they're supposed to be, is tall. And God went, no, that's not the right one. For God looks on the inward appearance, man looks on the outward appearance. Then they went from number 2 to number 3 to number 4 all the way through to number 7. And one after another, Samuel's just going, wait, I can't figure this out. For I'm at the house of Jesse. I'm looking at the sons of Jesse. God told me it was the son of Jesse who would become the king. And yet none of these are the ones that are supposed to be king. And he stops and he goes, Jesse, I told you I needed to meet with your sons. And yet none of these sons are the right one. Any chance you might have another son? And there's David out in the back field playing the harp and throwing a slingshot, looking after sheep. David says, power belongs to God. I wasn't looking for this. God brought it along and made me to be the most beloved king of all Israel. I don't get to do this. Man doesn't set up men as kings. God does. Power comes from God. So we see it from David, who was the beloved king. We also see it from Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, who is the hated king. Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon, you remember that story? They came in, wiped out the people, and took the sons' slaves into Babylon. You remember that? And there in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has built for himself a massive gold statue. Remember that? And then forced everybody to bow down to him. If ever there was a guy on a power grab, it was Nebuchadnezzar. And he's bow down to the golden image of me. And he stands off on the side and looks around, and he sees, hey, wait, there's a couple of guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys, are, they're not bowing down to my statue. What kind of disrespect have you got? Throw those guys in the fire. You remember the story? That was chapter 3. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar himself writes the chapter. By the way, that's very rare in the Old Testament. I'll tell you why. Nebuchadnezzar was a Gentile almost the entirety of scripture is written by jewish people and yet here in the middle of chapter and daniel chapter 4 we get a gentile king writes a chapter and god's getting a point home for us and that point is in daniel chapter 4 in fact nebuchadnezzar tells his own story how he stood out on the veranda one day and looked upon all the things that had been built by himself He said hey look how great a guy i am i'm pretty awesome and in that moment, God did a little tweak in his brain, and he acted like a cow for seven years. Ate grass on his hands and knees. And then God did another little tweak in his brain, and after seven years, he came back to normal, and he realized, wait a second, life's not all about me. Power does come from God. And here's what he wrote in Daniel chapter number 4, in verse 17. And he's writing to all the peoples of the earth. He says this, "...to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men." And giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. He realized the powers that be are ordained of God. God sets them up. God puts a David in place. He puts a Nebuchadnezzar in place. God's the one who gives the power. All power is rooted in God. You cannot get power outside from God. And by the way, verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. You might say, but pastor, you don't understand. The government rulers that are in place, there's systemic corruption. I'll share with you from the book of Jeremiah, God also sets up governments as punishment for the people. So let us be careful about tossing shade on governments when perhaps God put the government there as a punishment on people. Here's what he said in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 6. I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And afterwards, said the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants, and the people and such as are left in this city from the pestilence, from the sword and from the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of them that seek their life. He shall smite them with the edge of the sword, and He shall not spare them, neither have pity nor have mercy. And here God was commanding the people of Israel to place themselves in subjection under a wicked Gentile king who was coming as a punishment against them. He went on in the same chapter in verse number 10 to make this statement, I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You see, sometimes God places men whom you would never have chosen to be in positions of authority, and you may not like it, and yet He has commanded, submit yourself to government authority. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of sitting in the National Pastors Conference and one evening of the National Pastors Conference, one of the ministers who was a faithful member of church member at the church there, he attended, and I found myself, I didn't intend to do this, but I found myself seated next to him for preliminary time before the service. I watched something happen over and over, and I think it's worth you hearing this. Pastor after pastor came and introduced themselves to that minister. I was just a bystander, sat next to him and listened to the conversation. And one after another, pastors came, shook his hand, and said things like, Praise the Lord that you got a position in the, in, uh, in the cabinet. We've been praying for you, and we're so thankful that you've got that position. And I heard the minister make this statement, and it really dropped in my soul. Here's what he said. Thank you for praying. I hope your prayer hasn't been selfish. You realize, brothers and sisters, you realize that we only consider it corruption if it's somebody else that does it. But if it's us who come asking for the favor, it's not corruption. That's who you know. Let us be careful, brothers and sisters. When we say it's systemic and then we participate, it's still systemic. As we came to the end of the election cycle, recently, a good friend of mine, his votes began to rise incrementally in the counting. And I watched and I knew days the day would soon come, if not within the next few hours, that he would be declared as the member of parliament. I've known him for many years. He's a good friend. I've known him way outside of politics. We had been messaging all through the counting period through the polling period and in the counting I watched as the numbers raised and I realized here in the next few hours he's going to be declared member and I sent him a message and here's the message I sent him I said dear brother I want you to know as you are declared member within the next few hours I'm going to make you three promises right now I don't say this to lift myself up I Say it to help you with a mindset. I said, here are my three promises. One, I wrote them down here. I will pray for you every day. I will not ask of you anything in the next five years. And if you need someone to speak with or pray with confidentially, I will always be here for you. You see, friend, we watch as someone we care about gets into power and our mind immediately goes to, how can that person serve my interests? That's corruption, guys. And when it's someone that we don't like, suddenly we think, oh, well there's a problem, therefore I'm not going to submit to authority. And the biblical command is, if you're changed, transformed by the gospel, the biblical command is, submit. Submit. Submit to government authority. Why? Number one, because all power comes from God. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I think that we have such a thing currently as election violence where we go and burn places down. Innocent people are harmed because things did not go the way we wanted it to go. It's a problem that we've been facing, and I think it's because people who claim to be Christians are not living like it. Let us, who are transformed by the gospel, be an example. Number two, why should we submit to government rulers? First, because the power is ordained of God. Secondly, because rulers serve for a reason. Rulers serve for a reason. You can see it in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that, which is good. Thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. For if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Notice that verse 3 calls them rulers and verse 4 calls them ministers. And the whole meaning behind minister is a servant. So they're rulers for a purpose. They serve the needs of the people. You can see it in both a negative and in a positive. So as I look at the negative in verse 3, you can see in verse verse 3, they're not a terror to good works, but they're a terror to evil. To evildoers, they're a negative thing. Good government doesn't normally raid us in church and say, why are you still worshiping? Good government doesn't do that. I know there are places around the world that do that, but not good government. And so normally, good government is not going to be bringing terror to good-doing people. They're bringing terror. They're causing evildoers to look over their shoulders as they do evil. I'll give an example of that. If you fly a Cessna 402 under the radar and land at some undisclosed place out this way, with plans of smuggling cocaine, namely 550 kilos of it, you better be looking over your shoulder because the government's coming after you as an evildoer. That's normal. We should all understand that. And so the government is there to be a ruler of justice. See it in verse 4. He bears the sword, and he does not bear it in vain. Or today we would say the billy club Or the gun. Or the alternator belt. It's not there to be a problem for good doing people. It's there for those who are doing wrong. And then on the positive, to those who are doing right, He is a minister of God to thee for good. You see that in verse 4. He is the servant, the minister of God to thee for good. You say, how's that work? What's that mean? It means that the government is in a position to do good for its citizens. It does things like Build roads. And you say, Pastor, I got here by driving across the Grand Canyon. Potholes left, right, and center. Just be thankful. Brothers and sisters, I know. I, I call for those things to be repaired as well. But just think with me for just a moment. If there was no government, there would not have been potholed roads to have driven on. We would have been driving on bush tracks that we just cut anywhere we wanted to go, and when it got rainy, you would not make it to work. You see, the government is there to do a good thing, regulate air traffic. Could you imagine if we didn't regulate air traffic, you'd have one Boeing 737 landing one direction while a Boeing 767 landed the other direction, for every man will do what's right in his own heart. Regulating air traffic is a pretty important thing if you ever get on an airplane or if you live on the final approach at 7 Mile. These are important things. The government maintains law and order and while you and I might say, oh, we want to see an increase in that, recently, if you've listened globally to some of the pleas of some of the people in some of these cities where they say things like defund the police... I am sorry, but that's stupid. You're talking about the purge will break loose in your city if you take the police away. And while you and I say the police can do a better job, we're thankful for those officers who are doing their job. Amen. They're here for good as a minister. They organize, they should organize urban growth and Help with water supply and power supply and proper drainage so that when the next big heavy rain comes along, water doesn't come draining through your yard that never did before. Those are things that the government should be doing. Maintain a military for the defense of its citizens. Could you imagine if there was no military defense? Any nation could come along and do anything they wanted to. And a couple of guys would come running. As a ragtag army. And you would hope that they would be able to defend you. So they serve a purpose. So why shouldn't we submit to government rulers? First, because the power is ordained by God. Second, because the rulers serve a purpose. And third, and I have no better way to say this, so please forgive me. Uh, clean conscience is icing on the cake. That's in verse 5. A clean conscience is icing on the cake. So in other words, the cake is the main deal. And the icing is, makes it even better, all right? And so here, the clean conscience, according to verses 1 to 7, a clean conscience is the icing on the cake. So let me show it to you in verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath. In other words, if you disobey government, the wrath of the government is going to come down upon you as an evildoer. But don't just do it because of wrath, but also, he says in verse 5, but also for conscience sake. So you in your own mind will know I'm doing right, I'm obeying those in authority, and I get to have a clean conscience while I do it. I think the best way for me to illustrate this is with what we regularly have termed the roadside ATM. How many people know what I'm talking about? When I say roadside ATM, how many people know what I'm talking about? Only those who are close. I will re-explain. If you've been around staff and around me enough, I say roadside ATM. I don't even remember where I got it. Sorry. Some people call it the roadblock. And when you come up to the roadblock, you know what I'm talking about? If it's not really a sanctioned roadblock, now you know what I'm talking about. Maybe there's two cones and there might be a vehicle... But most likely, the guys that are standing there are doing their best to try to catch you in a mistake so that they can hit your ATMs. You know what I'm talking about now? (laughs) The roadside ATM. And so as you approach, by the way, they are a government authority, and so you're supposed to submit. As you approach, like I do, I approach, I put the window down. I know this is when it's probably a little bit not above board. And as I approach, I know I have a clean conscience because I know I do my best and go out of my way to make sure that my vehicle is registered, has a safety sticker, I've got my driver's license, everybody in my vehicle has their seatbelt on, all my turn signals work, and I have good tires. That's something I go out of my way to make sure I do. And by the way, I hammer that with our staff here. They probably get sick of me talking to them about it. But the nice thing is, when I come up to the roadside ATM... I have a clean conscience. So that when he comes and he starts inspecting things, I get to talk to him about anything I want to. I can invite him to come to church. I have all kinds of good times with these guys on the side of the road because I know I have a clean conscience. I have nothing to hide from them. Now let's change that picture just a little bit. And let's say if I knew that I had an expired driver's license. And I roll up on the roadblock. I'm going to do everything I can to get him to not want to see my driver's license. So you know what that looks like. I come up, and the windows stay up, right? And now he has to do the motion to get me to put my window down. And then I have to do anything I can to get him to talk about something else. And then he asks, do you have a driver's license? Oh, yeah, I've got it, I've got it. And uh, can I see it? Oh, sorry, it's in my bag in the back. Hold on a second. And I'm hoping that he's going to just give me a wave. by. Why? Because I know I've done wrong. And I don't have a clean conscience. You see, if I'm obeying the authority, the clean conscience is just icing on the cake. Everything else is set, and I can go on about life knowing that he's not going to be coming after me as an evildoer. But I know that I have a clean conscience. And he says, he just makes a point of it here in verse 5. If you're doing right and you're submitting to authority, you get to live with a clean conscience. And by the way, it even works even if they do wrong against you, you get to have a clean conscience. And sometimes I don't mind scooping the icing right off the top of the cake and eating that by itself. So we've seen why, Then let's see the practical how. The second part, verses 6 and 7, practically how do we submit to our government rulers? First off is verse 6. And here's the practical one. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Verse number 6. For, for this cause pay you tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending, attending continually upon this very thing. Verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. We'll finish the verse in just a moment. So, they are God's ministers. You see that in verse 6, attending continually upon this very thing. So, pay tribute, that's taxes. Pay your taxes, and there's a reason that you pay taxes. It is so that the government will have the financial ability to do those good things. You'll notice in verse 7 pay tribute to whom tribute and custom to whom custom. And I'll give just a word of clarification there tribute. True meaning at its root, tribute is, there's a foreign nation that has invaded, you pay tribute to the foreign nation. Custom is the tax you pay within your own nation. But you'll notice that he did not leave it just at the one, he said to do both. Pay tribute, even if it's out to those whom you do not like, and custom, that's inward to those whom you should like. So pay taxes, whether it's to outside or even in your own com- country. And you might think with me about an example from the life of Christ as He Himself paid taxes. Yea, keep in mind, the King of kings and Lord of lords paid taxes. You say, yeah, but he, went, he sent Peter down to the Sea of Galilee, and they caught a fish, and there was a piece of gold inside of the fish, and they used that to, the coin to make the payment. Look, the point is not only pay if there's a miracle. That's not the point. The point is pay even if it takes a miracle. Pay your taxes. How do you practically submit? You pay your taxes. And I might just make mention, since it would fit well here, within the idea of submitting to civil government and civil authorities, you don't hack your mobile phone in order to try to get free data and you don't hack your easy pay meter or bypass your easy pay meter or hire someone from png power to come and bypass it so that you can get free power you don't cut the water line so that it'll run in the road and create a drain so that someone will have to compensate you for the work as you fill it in or the government when they come to repair it You don't help yourself to a container truck when it overturns. That's theft. You say, Pastor, there's people who steal on much bigger levels. Just let those guys get away with their 10 kg rice and 10 kg flour. No, it doesn't matter what level your sin is at. Sin is sin. Don't allow yourself to make excuses for why you can sin and they can't. Don't do it. Don't offer a bribe to someone in a government office so that you can get your driver's license or a police clearance or an NID card or a COVID vaccination card or a passport or a birth certificate. Don't do it. A number of years ago, many of you would understand that we, right now, for our church, are in a court battle in order for us to even keep our property. Some of you would know about that. We've been in national court for five years next hearing is supposed to be in November. I pray by God's grace that a judge will do right. We know what's right is, and we've seen it from day one. And I remember as I was trying to do the paperwork in the government office at the very beginning, the very beginning I had everything signed with the traditional landowners, everything was ready, let's move towards a title I remember meeting with a lands officer who is now dead and gone. I remember meeting with him in that early initial days, and he made a statement to me in his office. He said, I'll tell you what, you bring me all of the papers in an envelope, 5,000 kina, this project will be done in two weeks. I told him, I'm sorry, sir, with all due respect, I will not pay a bribe, you have to do your work, and I have to wait. He said, wait, it will take a very long time. I don't get help. I said, sir, I'm willing to wait a very long time. It's been nine years. I'm willing to wait because we're not going to shortcut. We're going to submit to government authority, and if one of the government authorities in the system is doing it incorrectly, I'm not going to make an excuse to follow his singular authority instead of the authority of the government. Sometimes it's inconvenient. I know that. Sometimes it takes seven years in order to get your celebrant license. Oh, I've gotten the number, but still not the certificate. And yet we still wait. We do things right. You might remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 17. We saw this last week. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Listen to these words. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Live honest, church. Be honest in your dealings. So practically, how do we submit to government rulers? Pay your taxes. And second one, give them your respect. See in verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Give fear. Some of those government authorities you should give fear. Because of fear, I'll be honest, because of fear, this is not fear of man, but because of fear, I give fear. For that reason, this morning, as an expatriate who could be blacklisted, I have not said some things. For the love of our church, I have said other things. And yet, overarching, because they all deserve it, Honor to whom honor. They need it. You give honor. You meet one. You don't throw shade their way. Don't walk around gossiping behind their back. God gives you the opportunity in a private setting. Tell them what needs to be done. But don't toss shade on them. Give honor to them. We mentioned Paul and his setting already. You might remember Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who as he stood before Pilate, gave honor to the man who would pass condemnation and send him to the cross. Gave him honor. God is at work in the bigger picture, brothers and sisters, and don't forget it. Here Paul writes, it's a command, submit to government authorities. God is at work. Even in those times when you think, I just want to take a shortcut and get around. And at times when you think, oh, this isn't right, God is at work. Continue to honor Him. Honor the King. It's Peter's words, honor the King. And in so doing, you have no idea, but your act of respect might just be a moment to take words from last week of heaping coals upon their head. Your act of respect might be a gift to the larger community so that you can try to bring order out of chaos. Your act of respect might be a reminder to yourself that God will take vengeance and all I need to do is give place to wrath. Well, we don't like being told what to do. But when we submit, we are showing that God is our ultimate authority and we can obey those whom He has put in place for this time, for this place. But, and this is my favorite part of this sermon, but there is coming a day when He will return. And He will set up a government that is more perfect than any government this earth has ever seen. I will quote from Isaiah chapter 9 a prophecy that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ and has not yet been fulfilled 2,000 years after the birth of Christ. And here is the prophecy. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's Jesus. And the government shall be upon His shoulders. His shoulders, brothers and sisters, His shoulders are broad. For they are the shoulders upon which He built the entire universe. Spoke them into existence. And upon His broad shoulders will be the government. And there will be no corruption in His government. Everything will be right. And His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, both everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Increase of His government. You know what that means? No recession. When you chart out the government of Jesus Christ for eternity, it will only get better and better and better. There will not be LNG projects that bring the economy up and then a downturn while we wait for the next one. Oh no, there will be increase and increase and increase forever and ever and ever and the peace that will come with it. For no outside nation will be able to look upon it with greed, wanting some of it wherein they would be drawn to invade. For no, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over the entire universe with an increase forever and ever with peace that will increase forever and ever. For no one will ever try to challenge and take any part of it. Amen. And upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with ju- judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. and This is a promise. So in the meantime, submit to those whom He has put in authority. Father, I pray that You would help us God, on those days when we're frustrated, help us to give fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I pray we would be faithful in paying our tribute, paying our custom. I pray that we would not defy government orders that are not opposed to the Word of God. Lord, we as a people have been transformed by the gospel, and I pray that that would be shown in our lives, in our interaction toward the government. It's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capitol
0: City Baptist Church of Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, Please give us a call on seven double nine one thousand. Again it's
1: seven double nine one thousand.